Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. As we start this morning, I call your attention to the screens of a very special video for us today. This is where the walls gave way This is demolition day All the debris and all this dust What is left of what once was Sorting through what goes and what should stay Every stone I laid for you As if you had asked me to Monument to holy things Empty talk and circling Isn't that what we're supposed to do?
beautiful images of hope, real hope, real faces that you recognize, real lives that you know that what, what they found through the circumstances or are finding through circumstances in the midst of it all is still hope. And, and at some point, all of us in this audience either have or are needing or will need to experience or to, to come to that kind of, of hope. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about how hope has risen and is still continuing to rise within us as God's people. I'll take you back to the verse we, we kind of kicked all this off with on Easter. 1 Peter chapter number 1, verse number 3. Could I just have you read this with me? I want, to, want you to hear yourself saying some of these words. Just this offering of praise to God. In fact, would you just stand and let's just, let's just say this verse as a word of praise to God today. And, and just think about the words that you're saying, uh, uh, what God is wanting us to hear. With me together, please. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Thank you. you may be seated. What, what a powerful word. I mean, we're talking about living hope, hope that is, as we've said, and this has been kind of our theme thought, is because Jesus is alive, then hope is alive. The fact that Jesus beat death means that there is a living hope. There is something that, that we, we, we can continually count on, and, and that's what we've got to make sure, hope that is somehow not connected to the resurrection of Jesus. And there are lots of hopes and dreams, and, 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 and those are all nothing wrong with those, but if it's not somehow connected to the resurrection, finding its basis there, it's going to ultimately disappoint, because death will ultimately take every hope out unless... It has been defeated, unless death is, and that's only through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because he is alive, hope is alive. But this morning, if we kept reading in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, he introduces a, a, a new benefit, and we talked a little bit about it last week. As he goes on, he says in the next, it, down in that verse 6, he says, in all this you greatly, what? Rejoice. Okay, so we talked about last week that not only that because Jesus is alive, hope is alive, but the, uh, the book of Romans in this verse tells us that because Jesus is alive, there's another thing that's alive, and that's joy. That it's possible to truly have a, a joy that's not, not based off of circumstances or, or good or bad. It's, it's, a, it's a joy, something within us that enables us to rejoice. And that was the, the idea that because Jesus is alive, now joy is alive. And that's a great thing to think about. We're thinking about this, this idea of rejoicing and making sure that others can, can see this joy within us. And God has, has put that. But this, even this verse, this rejoicing, what we're going to find, it, it finds itself in a very interesting environment, a very interesting neighborhood. This rejoicing, this joy. Let's keep reading in verse number six. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. See, now Peter has thrown in a little, a little wrench in this. Because Jesus is alive, we have hope. Because we have hope, we have joy. But joy is something that goes even though and in the midst of what they refer to here as grief and all kinds of trials. You see, what we, what we want to talk about today is a very interesting idea, the idea of building hope. Hope in, in very real sense, according to what we're going to see today, Paul kind of des de describes hope as a, 
as something like a muscle or a, a construction project, something that, that is an end of a process, that is a product of, of a process that God takes us through, and ultimately we begin to experience this hope. But it's not just this, this magic pill, if you would. There is a, a process involved that's kind of building, strengthening the muscles, building the edifice that we would know as hope, and it comes in this, this result of this process. So we go back to Romans chapter 5. We're going to be there for, for another week at least, Romans chapter 5, and this is where we started last week, and it kind of gets us going again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we stand not guilty before God. If you know Christ as Savior, that's who you are. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and here's what we talked about last week, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have rejoicing and we're having hope and we have peace and we have this access and, and all. And, and, and so this is really important. Let's go back to this verse. We talked about it just a little bit. It talked about having obtained access by grace in which we stand. Now let me just talk about standing in grace. Just, we talked about it a little bit last week, but let's make sure we understand that because we know Christ, we now stand in grace. And there's at least two ways you can look at this. One, which we focused on last week, is we stand forgiven. In grace. It's the idea of the fact that, uh, like the prodigal son, we talked about that example, went away, just destroyed everything, came back, had no reason to ask anything of his father. In fact, wanted to come back as a slave, and his father had open arms, welcomed him in, and gave him a robe and a ring and shoes and all that, because now he's not standing in his merits or in his... He's standing simply in the grace of his father, because his father welcomed... If you're a follower of Christ, you're standing in grace this morning. You're standing forgiven not because you deserve it, not because you earned it. In fact, you did everything to not deserve it. And yet God, in his grace, through the blood of his son, gave you eternal life, just declared you not guilty. So now you stand in grace. You stand in the, in the very essence of forgiveness. That's wonderful stuff, isn't it? That's what it means. To but grace, standing in grace, also has this idea of standing firm, standing confident, Standing in strength. Because not only do you need grace to know that you're forgiven and to know that your sins have, have been washed away, but you need grace because you're, you're going to face something, if not today, although I think pretty much every day, you're going to face something on a regular basis that is beyond your ability to handle, beyond your ability to cope. Beyond, you need something, and there's a, this is where grace comes in to give you strength to stand when you really don't have this. Here's how Paul put it, 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, talking about a weakness that, that he faced, and he asked God to take this, this thing away out of his life, but, it, but God chose to let it stay. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul said, my grace, Jesus saying this, my grace is sufficient for you. And notice this, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You have grace and you have power. You have God's grace and you have God's power. But it's not because you're strong enough to stand. You're standing in the grace of God who gives you the strength to do something that you can't do. So standing in grace is because of our just, because we are declared not guilty. We stand in the grace of God that should be encouraging to just about every one of us today. If you're a follower of Christ, you stand in the grace of forgiveness, and you can also stand in the grace of confidence and strength no matter what you face because that's our standing. That's what God, he's put us in the standing in grace. So we're going along in Romans chapter 5, 
And now, based off that, Paul's words take another unexpected turn. Look what he says, the very next phrase, verse number 3 of Romans chapter number 5, Paul says this. He says, not only that, but we rejoice, look at these next three words, in our sufferings. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice. We're standing in grace. And that grace forgives us. And that grace strengthens us. And the very next thing he says, and not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We stand in grace. And so because that standing in grace, we rejoice in hope. But now we stand in grace and we rejoice in suffering. Now I say that with a question mark. We, we rejoice in the problems that we have. We rejoice in the things that are not going well. I don't want you to miss this connection. There is a huge connection between grace and rejoicing, even in this. I'll give you an example. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 1, there's this group of Christians Paul talks to, and he says, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the what? The grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And notice how this grace showed itself in the midst of a very severe trial their overflowing joy and their, joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. They were going through a huge trial, but this trial, allowed, through the grace of God, allowed them to have extreme joy. Those things don't compare, don't, don't mesh, do they? I mean, think about it. Severe trial, overflowing joy, extreme poverty, great generosity. Why? Because of grace. You stand in grace, and because of that standing in grace, we rejoice in our sufferings. Today, I want, to, I want to look at those two words just for a, moment, a couple of those words in there. We want to talk about rejoicing and the word suffering because I want to make sure you understand what he's saying to us. When he says rejoice, that's exactly what he means. If the word rejoice is the same word we saw in the previous verse. It means to, to boast of something that you have, of a possession, to have, to have a, a, a appropriate pride, to, to give. A, a, it, it's actually the two words, jubilation and confidence. So we have joyful confidence. And we're talking about this, this rejoicing, this believers, this continual exaltation, even in our suffering. God says we are to rejoice in our suffering. Let's talk about what, what, that, now, what, what does that look like, to rejoice? Well, let, one thing, I think it would be to, we, we often would say we've got to endure it without complaining. I think that's a big thing. Rejoicing means I, whatever I'm going through, I, I shouldn't, there, there's got to be a change in the way I address it. And my, my, the, the Bible talks often about our griping and murmuring and complaining, and that ought to be, be being replaced in our life. But it also has this very proactive idea of I rejoice not just in the, in the issue itself, but I, I see, I, I actually make myself understand that there is something that God is doing, and with that should be a cause of rejoicing. It's actually a proactive idea of, of taking and rejoicing because of the suffering. And let's make sure we don't miss that word suffering. It is just what it says. Your version may say tribulation. It's also translated the word trials. We have this word rejoicing, which means glory sometimes. It means boasting. This word suffering means just, but the word literally by definition means to crush or to squeeze. It was used in the idea of olives that were taken off a tree or grapes taken off the vine. And, and to get the juice, to get the oil, what did they have to do? They had to squeeze them. They had to bring them through tribulation. They had to bring them to, to this word that we have for suffering. It was squeezed. 
it, uh, it, it talks about the outward difficulties we may experience as well as the inward emotional things that we feel. Some of the pressure from the outside that also caused the, in fact, one, one expositor said it this way, a, it's a pressure that weighs down the spirit. I don't think I would probably have any less than a full house if I asked you how many have ever experienced that. Something in your life that has, has crushed, that has squeezed, that has put pressure on your very spirit, that, that's the suffering he's talking about. We're not talking about just, you know, th- there is, it includes everything from the light daily kind of frustrations and irritations, but it goes all the way to those things that just bring you to your knees. We're talking about squeezing. We're talking about this pressure that, that comes down upon us. And what does he say to do in that? Somebody tell me. He said to rejoice. Rejoice when I'm hurting. Rejoice when I'm squeezed. Rejoice when I'm under that kind of pressure. Let me just let you listen to a, a, one pastor gave a commentary, and, and I want to read this to you because it just was very challenging to me. I want you to hear his words because I think he said it better than I could say it. Here's what Ray Stedman said this. Paul takes the very worst things about life, the periods of heartache and sorrow and disappointment, the tears, the crying, the heartaches of life, the suffering, and he says it makes us rejoice. We rejoice in our sufferings. He goes on to say, now I believe it is time that we Christians take these words very seriously because this is no special standard reserved for just a few wonderful believers who by virtue of their great faith are able to live on this high level of rejoicing. This is the normal expectation of every Christian. This is what God expects from us as Christians. He's, he not only expects it, he provides for it. Anything less, is, by his definition, is simply sub-Christian living. Have you learned to live on this level? This level of rejoicing in suffering? Or are we more apt to gripe, complain, and that challenged me? Because when the pressure comes, I know what my first reaction is. I can't speak for you, but often it's not what God has called us to do, to rejoice in our sufferings. Now, let me be clear. It's not rejoicing because it's not, come on, bring on the pain, God, right? Come on, make it hurt. Oh, it hurts so, it's not that kind of idea. Get that, all right? It's not rejoicing because it hurts so good, right? It's, it's re- what Paul's going to show us is there's some effects that come from this suffering that is what is needed in our lives. And because of what we know God is doing, we truly can rejoice even in the squeezing The squeezing of our life, we live in a world that's cursed by sin and there's going to be squeezing, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be a tribulation and we can't, by God's grace, be able to work. And ultimately, verse number four says we're going to actually then find hope as a result of this pressure, of this squeezing. What Paul is telling us is the suffering, the tribulation is actually a part of our maturing process as believers. That because of where we live and because of this world, we're going to face those and God takes those and makes them into something that actually makes us who he's called us to be. How he's designed us. He takes those pressures and he uses them to bring about what he wants for our lives. It's part of our, as the word we'll talk about later, sanctification. It's taking us from who he has made us to who he wants us to be. And it goes through this this realm of, of suffering. Here's what we know. Number one, suffering is inevitable. We're going to have it. 
we're going, there's going to be times that we, we can't get past the fact that we're going to have trials. We're going to have tribulations. In fact, James echoes much like Paul said, chapter 1 and verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I think that's a big word. He didn't say if you face trials. It's always when because it's going to come. You've, you've, as one man said it, I think we've said it before, you've either been in a trial and you're coming out, you're right smack dab in the middle of one right now, or get ready because you're probably heading into one. I mean, that's just the way life works. We, we, we move from these trials, tribulations, sufferings of all kinds, emotional, relational, just physical, all of these trials. And what he's saying is that they're, they're going to come. The inevitability of trials, that's what's going to happen. But now notice back in our verse again, verse number 5, chapter 5, verse 3 of Romans. Not only that, he says, but rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering, and then I want to stop right there, produces. You might circle that word, underline that. Suffering produces. It's a very obvious definition. We know what producing means. It means to bring about a result. It's something that is done and it brings about a, a, a accomplishment. It's to work it out. Something will result. And what he's saying is suffering brings about a certain result in our lives. It's a part of what God is doing in us. So here's the way suffering is inevitable, but here's the part sometimes we miss. Suffering is also necessary. Because of who we are, because of where we live, suffering is essential. Suffering is something that we have to go through because of the place to, to get to where God has called us. He, he tells us it produces in us. I take you back to James again, just to hear how he finishes his verse. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, James says, and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, and notice, because, there's our same word, because there's, a, there's something going to happen, you know that the testing of your faith, here's our word again, produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that, look at this, you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We, need, we have to go through the certain trials based on because of where we are in order to produce what is necessary to make us be, to, to mature us, to be, to complete us, to be what God has called us to be. Now I know in, I can begrudgingly accept trials, Okay, I got it. Bring it on. It's going to happen. I can be that. But I have a trouble sometimes actually rejoicing in the fact that this is a necessary part of my maturation process. That God is doing something. In my, it's part of my spiritual growth. Here, here's what some of us do. Sometimes we have trouble with troubles because when we're going through them, we assume, man, what did I do wrong? Why is God mad at me? Why did this, all this stuff is happening? God must be angry. What did I do? And we, we feel like there's something in a, in a fault of ours that has brought all this, this, this pain. That's the first place we go to. And, and God must be at least, if not mad, he's irritated, he's frustrated with me. And, and folks understand there's, there's in life suffering that has nothing to do with whether you deserve or not deserve any of this. It, it comes, it's, it's not about the, the deserving process. Sometimes as followers people think that followers of Christ and it just ought to get better. You become a Christian and so everything ought to be, you know, uh, there should be a, a, a smileier edge on everything now. Because now we're Christians, so now we're followers of Jesus. Life should get, uh, suffering should be less. And, and can I be honest with you, sometimes as, as a Christian, suffering actually gets worse. 
Because now you're actually lined up against the enemy himself. You're not on his team anymore. He's going to do whatever. So not only do you have the normal pressures of life, but the enemy's trying to, to, to make you slip. It, the, it's following Jesus, make sure you, don't, you understand. It's not about the, the idea that it gets better. Why do bad people prosper? Why do, good things happen to, to, why do good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? Those are questions that have been struggled with forever. And, and so we have trouble accepting, especially rejoicing when troubles come. And, and we have some who would actually say, then what's the use of being a Christian if it doesn't get better, if it doesn't all just work out? This Christian stuff must not really be all that it's, it's cracked up to be. So here's what Paul's trying to get us. You're going to face the struggle. They're inevitable. But I want to encourage you that it is possible and even, it, even what God designs for you is to rejoice because of what God's doing through your suffering. You see, when I preach a message like this, I know that I have no trouble getting to relevancy because every one of us in here know what I'm talking about when we talk about suffering. And every one of us in here go along the spectrum as far as, as gripe, complain, moan, rejoice. It's all across the wave. So this is real stuff for us. What's Paul trying to teach us? What is it that, got, that Paul is, what, it's inevitable, it's necessary. Let's go back to Romans chapter number 5 and verse 3. Notice what he says it produces. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing, we're, we know for sure that suffering produces, and then notice what he says, it produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Or in some translations, hope will not disappoint. Hope will never let us down. And many translations say, and it's this hope. Again, there are lots of hopes. There are a lot of people have hope in this and hope in that. And, and for all, but it's this hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that in the middle of our sufferings, I can still know that God is producing something. God is at work. God is doing something in my life. And, and these are the things that he, he does to produce. But before we move on, here's, here's a phrase, and I know I've used it often in here. In fact, I use it so often in my life that sometimes it's almost a cliche. And I don't want it to be a cliche, but it's just so real. And that's this. God will never waste a hurt. What we know about God, whatever you're going through, we live in a world that is against us. We live in a, in a, in a world that's tough, but God will never waste a hurt. He sees, he cares, and he is producing something through that hurt, through that trial, through that suffering. In fact, the first two products that he talks about, he talks about uh, endurance and character. And both of those words actually come from the the either metallurgy or fine metals department. It's a thing of how do you get gold and silver and, and metals to the place where they're valuable. It take, they have to go through a, a firing process. They have to go through a process that, that uh, when, when you get to this, this idea that it has to, there has to be something that, that burns to get the to silver and, and gold to the place where it is truly valuable. There's a, we sang a song earlier called Blessed Be the Name. If you've been around a while, that's a, that's a classic now. It's, it's been, but the, the words are perfect because they were spoken by a guy who, in my opinion, is the poster child for, for followers of God that suffer. His name was Job. Whole book about him in the Old Testament. Job is the one who said that in the middle. Here's, if you don't know Job, let me give just the thumbnail. Job had everything and lost everything in a matter of hours. 
matter of hours, he went from one of the richest men to a man who had nothing. And then from there, he lost his, his health. His, his wife seems to turn her back on her. He seems to lose all of his friends. I mean, here stands a man in sickness and in, in pain with literally nothing. And there's a lot about Job, but I want you to hear one of Job's quotes. Job 23.10, but he, that's God, knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Now, Job had some misunderstandings. Job didn't get it all. He wondered why this was all happening to him, all this. But, it, but at some point in the middle of all this, he realized that there is something. And on the end, God may be taking me through fire, but on the end, I'm going to come out valuable like gold. That's how Job, one of the wisest men to ever live, his name was Solomon, wrote these words in Proverbs 17. The crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. You have a fire that purifies, that takes out the, that from gold and silver. That's how God works in our heart. You go back to 1 Peter that we read earlier, chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Listen to what Peter said. In all this, we greatly rejoice. There's our word again. Though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, look at this, of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, this, the, the very words he uses, endurance, character, they're words that were used in the smelting industry as far as metal, in the idea that this is a heat that takes it to bring it to the point where it needs to be. You've probably heard this story before, but I, there's several different versions of it, but I, I love the way it, it's, here's the one that I read this week. Uh, the, there was a lady curious about the significance of this whole biblical idea of, of fire, and, and so to get her, to do her research, she actually went to a silversmith, and she, just, she didn't tell him what she was researching. She just wanted to watch him do his work and then ask questions to try to get some understanding. So while she was there, she watched as he placed the silver, the, the, just the raw silver, she placed it over, he placed it over the fire, and it let it heat up. And here's what he said in, in, in refining. He said that it's, it's one is needed to hold the silver in the middle of the flyer, fire where the flames are their hottest to burn so that it burns out all the impurities. He said, I, I have to put it right here where it's the hottest to get the impurities out. So, so she begins to, to wonder. That she hears how God sits as a refiner at, at the silver. And so she asked him, he said, is it true that you have to sit here and watch this the whole time? He said, absolutely. And here was his quote. He said, not only must I hold the silver over the fire, but I have to keep my eyes on it all the time so it never gets too hot. Because if it gets too hot, it will be destroyed. So she's watching, that. she's thinking of this, how God says that we're like silver and gold and the heat will come, but the silversmith makes sure it's never too hot. And then she says, so how do you know when it's done? How do you know when it's where it needs to be? And this is the answer you may have heard. He said, oh, that's easy. When I can see my reflection in the metal. You see, what God has said is we're going through all this so we become more like Jesus. How will he know when we've had enough? When he can see his face in our lives. When he sees himself in us. How do we rejoice in suffering? It's because we know that suffering is producing something. That God is doing a work in us. And the fire is real, but God is making us more like his son. Let's walk through this a second. Suffering produces, look what Paul said, it, induces, it produces perseverance or the word endurance. In one translation, you may see the word patience. How many of you have ever heard someone say, don't ever pray for patience? Have you ever heard that? Have you ever said that? Why? Because the only way to get patience is to do something that tests your patience. See, that's the principle here. 
how are you going to know hope <laughs> until you've been at a place where you don't know where hope is? How are you going to know peace until you've... Un- he, he says that there's a the part of this testing is to bring us to where first we have to be to this point where we know and, and we, we call on him. Perseverance, endurance, it means what it says, to stay, to remain, to not run, to not flee, to, to, to stay put. It's about not giving up. It's where staying where God wants and not taking the easy way out. It's setting and trusting in what God is doing. And God is working and he wants to build this endurance in us because part of what we, because of where we are and how we live, we, we need to stay put because this is, it implies that we're trusting in God's will, that he knows what he's doing in us. Let me give you an example. Book of Luke, chapter 22, Jesus just hours before his crucifixion, is praying in the garden. And, and this is a tr- tremendously powerful picture. And here's what he prays. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet, look, what does he say? Not my will, but yours be done. Now, that was the attitude of Jesus. God, Father, whatever your will is, you do it. I, I, this isn't a thing I'm looking forward to, but your will, not mine. So then, when the writer of Hebrews describes to us about in chapter 12 and verse number 1, the, the writer talks about in running our race with perseverance, right? Endurance, don't give up. And we have a race before us, don't quit. And, but then look what he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And look where he, he takes us about Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that we'll not grow weary and lose heart. How are you going to have perseverance? Look at Jesus. Jesus went to the point of the cross, but what did he say? God, not my will, but yours, and he endured. Because this is what God wanted for him. This is where he was going to get to be, where God designed for him to be. Christians, you understand, that's what God is saying to us. This suffering, it's hurt, it's fire. But God is saying, hang with me here. Trust my process. Stay with me because I want you, there's a place I want you to be. There's a way I want you to grow. All this is a part of what God has called for you in your life. I can trust that God knows what he's doing. I can trust in his will. Sadly, in my life, I tend to give up a little too early. The fire gets a little hot and I want to run. Some days, I find myself just saying, I'm done with this. I don't know if you ever get there. But here's what I found, Christians. God's more interested in getting me to where I need to be than I am. And so if I hop out of the fire a little too quick, guess what? A few months later, I have a similar circumstance, almost the exact same fire, just has different faces and situations. God, what are you doing? Because there's something I need you to get to in your life, son. And you may not have liked that fire, so we're going to get it until we get you to looking like me. That's endurance. Why can I rejoice in suffering, or why should I rejoice in suffering? Because suffering produces endurance. It keeps me right where I need to be so that I can become what God wants me to be. But that's not all. He said in that perseverance, that endurance also then produces something that, produ- that, that produces And the word we have here is character. Your version may say experience. When we think of character, my first thought goes to integrity, goes to honesty. Some famous quotes, D.L. Moody said that character is what you are in the dark. Or maybe you've heard the phrase that uh, a true test of a man's character is what what you are when no one is looking. So those kind of character, I get that. 
But this word, and I think it has to do in this word, but this word experience is really a different word than character and integrity in the New Testament. It's actually the word for proof. It's the word we get our word document from. It's the proof of reality. It's a, it's a stamp of approval. He says that what perseverance does is it produces in us this, this proving, this test, that something is, that, that what we've done is right, that God is, is proving something in our life. It's not about whether you're approved by God. That's not it. You're approved by God through his son, Jesus Christ. It's not about being approved by people because that's, that's never going to happen. You just, it's not about, it's about proving some things in your life. Perseverance brings a proof, an experience, a character in you. What does it prove? Well, it proves how strong my faith truly is. Am I, am I really going to trust? It proves if I really believe this whole Christianity thing. But here's what it proves, no, no matter what, that God is always faithful. There's a proof that you go through and you endure, that on the other side you find out God was there with me all along. That if you don't talk about fires, there's, there's three guys in the Old Testament, Daniel and his four guys, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that went through the fire, of a, literal fire of a furnace, and when the king looked in, he saw a fourth man. He goes, now that looks a lot like the Son of God. Do you understand whatever fire you're going through, that there's, a, there's another person standing beside you, and that's the Son of God himself, that his faithfulness is proved in your life? So when you endure and you continue to let God work and you say, God, I'm going to trust you in this. I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to do this no matter how hard it gets. It builds within you this character that says, wait a second, God's real. God's here. It's building this proof that God is who he said he is within my life. It's a proof of his faithfulness. It's a, it, and, and notice the progression. This suffering puts you in a, a place to persevere, and this perseverance then gives you this experience that, the, that God is always faithful, and that will never change. And so what does that character produce? And character produces, what's our word? Hope. Character produces hope. There's this hope that God says within us that some people, like, you know, are you ever amazed at some people that no matter what they're going through, they, they, within them there's this, there's this shining hope. There's this, this not just optimism. We're talking about hope in the sense of I know I'm confident. This didn't come. This isn't a magic pill that came because they, they woke up one day and said, oh, I'm a hopeful person or that's not their personality. That goes through the experience of perseverance that develops character that brings and that's what God has called for us. I, th this, this morning, actually, I was, while I was showering, I heard this song. And I, I wanted to just read the lyrics for you because I think there's something powerful about this. The, word, the song is called Scars. And you may have heard it. It's kind of out there. The, this, the group I Am They sings this. But look at some of the words. Waking up to a new sunrise, looking back at the other side. I see with open eyes, darkest water, deepest pain. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Because my brokenness brought me to you, and these wounds are a story that you'll use. He goes on to say, so I'm thankful for the scars. Because without them, I wouldn't know your heart. And I know they'll always tell of who you are, so forever I am thankful for the scars. That's what it means to rejoice in suffering. That I never would come to the point where I really understood, God, you're faithful. God, I can trust you. If I hadn't gone through the suffering that produced character, that brought me to hope that will never disappoint. It is possible. It is what God has designed for us to actually rejoice in this hope. Here's what I want to share with you, what I believe. Hope that is without this suffering that doesn't go through this process is going to be at its best wishful thinking. 
I hope this doesn't go bad. I hope that this works out okay. I hope that everything will be okay. It only becomes true confidence when you've gone through the the endurance process that developed character that said God is faithful and now I have hope that cannot and will not be disappointed. It has to go through that process to be be true. Now, let let me give you a thought that as, as I was thinking about these words, the whole idea of tribulation, suffering, is that idea of squeezing. Remember the olives, the grapes? Well, here's what I thought of. This is how intellectual I am. This is what I thought of when I thought of squeezing. Okay, let's think about that for just a moment. For some of you who are not sure what this is, hopefully you use it today, but for those who are sitting kind of away from people, maybe you forgot it. I don't know, but toothpaste. It's a very interesting thing, and this little tube that we've now developed, is it's so interesting that and I hate it when people squeeze the middle, don't you? Okay, some of you are nodding, some of you are going, what are you talking about? Okay, I get that. It's this idea that, that inside, and, and what, when you open this cap and, and it comes out, what, what is going to come out this end? It's, it's whatever is inside here. Okay, just true story. One night, the, one morning the lights were a little dim and I put some white stuff on my, yes. Starts with a preparation idea, you understand? Okay. You want to make sure you know what's inside. That, that is really helpful, but that's a whole other sermon. You got to make sure it's what's inside there that's really important. But the only thing that's going to come out of this is what's inside here. And the only way to get what's inside of here out is if you squeeze. So think about this, Christians. Do you realize that within you is endurance? Within you is character? Within you is hope because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And so what is in you, God is going to bring out into your life. Now through the fires, he takes care of the impurities, but as he squeezes through suffering, he allows then that hope that truly lives within you to come out and be a part of who you are in your life. But it never happens without a little squeeze. The suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and that hope will not disappoint. Let's go back to Romans 5.3 again. Not only that, in fact, would you just read these verses with me? I want you to hear this whole passage. We read the first one, but read these with me if you would. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Did you catch that last part? How do I know that when God squeezes a believer that hope's going to come out? Because the Holy Spirit lives in you. The hope and the perseverance and the character, it's in you through the Holy Spirit. And what causes it to come and to show itself in our lives is when we face the squeezing, the pressure, when that comes to who we are. That's because God's love has been poured out into your heart. But there's one other thing I want to make sure we catch out of this. It's in that very, that very last part. Because sometimes one of the questions that we, when we're going through a trial, a tribulation, that maybe you've never worded but you've thought in your head, is God really there? Does God really love me? Or if he loves me, does he really care about what I'm going through? This last part of this verse tells us hope never disappoints because God's love never disappoints. 
The reason we can know that there's going to be hope come out if we trust him and we, we work and we let God's work in us and that character develops, hope is coming. How do we know that? Because God's love has been poured out and his love never disappoints. And then Paul goes on to give us, I think, one of the greatest examples of all, if you look in the next three verses in Romans chapter number five, of the greatest example of this love and how God's love never disappoints. Romans chapter five and verse eight, while we were still weak, At the right time, look at this, Christ died for the ungodly. How do we know this love has been poured out? Because look what Jesus did. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. What a great illustration. If there's somebody that that you really care for and that you think and they don't, maybe you'd put your life on the line for them. Or maybe as a soldier you'd put your life on the line. Or police, you would actually die for the right thing and the right people. But when when that person doesn't deserve it, and when that person is trying to kill you or trying to hurt you, then you're going to have trouble putting your life down on the line for them. But what did God do for us? But God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, I've used that last verse, verse 8, multiple times when I'm trying to point someone to Jesus. Because here's the thing. Jesus didn't say, hey, if you fix yourself up a little bit, you know, stop doing a few things and start, you know, change, turn over a new leaf, start changing, then come and we'll talk. Jesus said, I died for you as a sinner. I want you to come as you are to me. And Jesus died for us in our worthless, desperate condition. Jesus died. What a wonderful picture. But understand, this is talking in the context of these issues and this suffering. What he's saying is this is the proof of God's love. Whenever you're going through anything, don't let that ever bring it to the point of, I don't know if God cares for me. God already proved he loves you because he sent his son to die for you when you were a sinner who didn't deserve it. The proof of God's care for you isn't already been proven when he sent his son to die on the cross and his son died for you as a sinner. His love confirms that. But understand, God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. So he's going to take you through a process. Knowing what we need, that process is going to include suffering, which will produce endurance which will produce character, which will produce hope that never disappoints. Because, see, here's what we know. Because Jesus is alive, even our suffering has a purpose. When we move on in Romans and we get to chapter 8, one of the most famous Christian verses of all, all things work together for the good of those who love God. That's not just a funeral verse That's not just trying to help somebody, you know, feel better verse. That's reality. That God says that whatever you're going through, this suffering, the squeezing, the tribulation, we can actually rejoice in it because it's producing something. It's making you who God wants you to be. It's developing you into the person that God has designed you to be. It's this all, this this idea, it's making, it's, so now we can seriously say, I can rejoice in my suffering. Not just endure them, not just put up with them and hope they go away, but I can actually rejoice because, what, God, what are, you, what are you doing? Not only teaching me, what are you developing me? What, what is it that in my life that you're going to change through this suffering? I can rejoice because this is a part of the process that God is using to make me who he wants me to be. So we have an opportunity, Christians, 
to actually rejoice in the process of God making us who he wants us to be. What does that look like? Rejoice? Well, as I said, my, my default is to gripe and complain. I don't know about you. And God says to me, listen, son, rejoice. There's a work that I'm doing. Rejoice. This suffering has a purpose. Rejoice. I'm producing in you endurance, and so you'll stick where you need to be. And I'm producing that so you'll have character and you'll recognize my faithfulness. And ultimately, that's going to bring you the hope that you so richly, so, so much want to experience in your life. So my questions today are this. Do you have that hope living inside of you? Has there been a point in your life when you recognized your need, that you were a sinner, and you, you came to Jesus and his blood forgave you, you were declared not guilty before God? Do you know that you are one of God's kids in a relationship with him? If not, no matter what hope you may, you may hold on to in your life, it's going to someday disappoint if it's not tied to the fact that Jesus died and rose again for you and you've received his life. Do you have that hope living inside of you? That when the squeezing comes, the hope will come through the Holy Spirit in your life. Do you have that? If not, today could be the day you receive that gift. That God's blood, God's son's blood comes, washes over you and forgives you and you stand now in grace, in hope. If you're a follower of Christ, what do we react to when we're going through this suffering? How do we react to the suffering we're going through right now? The trials, the squeezing. Paul says, I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but not only that, I also rejoice in my sufferings. Because those sufferings are doing a work that needs to be done. 